0: everyone. Today we're reading Luke chapter 6 in the season of Epiphany. This is Luke's Sermon on the Plain, and it might sound like Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, but you also will hear some significant differences. Can't wait to dive in. I'm Alicia McClintock. and I'm Megan Cardale, and this is the A Plain Account podcast. week. I'm reading Luke chapter 6 from the New Living Translation. It's not a translation I regularly read publicly, but I find some of these translation choices really compelling. So listen to the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the sea coasts of Tyre and Sidon. they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy, yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are well-fed and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. I accidentally read one extra verse there in our in our passage for for uh, for this week. But um, as you can hear. This passage from Luke continues in the same vein as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, found in a similar section in Matthew chapter five, at six and seven. So there's a lot of parallels there. Forgive me for getting a bit carried away <laughs> this morning.
1: At all. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to kind of begin by noting the differences between. Luke's beatitudes and Matthew's beatitudes, in particular because I think it's Matthew's beatitudes that are um a bit more familiar. Maybe because they don't end with yes. terrible woes about rich people.
0: Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh Luke's beatitudes are more um uh truncated, terse. They're pretty yep. to the point. Um and and yet they're paired with this with this woe. Um, Matthew has like has another section of woe where Jesus has like some great woes to the to the scribes and Pharisees. Um, but it's not included in the Sermon on the Mount in like our traditional Beatitudes language. Um, and and I'm yeah I'm I'm intrigued by some of these differences here in the way that a a a, a very important sermon. The, like the core teachings of Jesus are then recounted in different ways in different gospels. Absolutely. Well,
1: let's talk a little bit about you know how to read or interpret this sermon on the plain um and I think we could use the terms more interchangeably, you know, in and when you're thinking about an approach mm-hmm. to reading the beatitudes. Um because there it blessing <laughs> I mean what what do we do with this Alicia blessing uh my translation the common English Bible says happy right
0: and then I'm like I'm regularly reading the NIV or the NRSV which would be considered a more like formal equivalent translation a little bit more literal I love the tagline of the NRSV as literal as possible as free as necessary <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is like a, a like a helpful. A helpful way there and they all use the, the traditional language of blessed or or I don't know blessed right, right. if you make it two syllables, right? Um NRSV and NIV stick with that. That uh, that phrasing, that phraseology. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, and I find it really interesting that the NLT translates it in this like active sense. God blesses you who are poor. I, I find that really compelling, um, and I think that speaks to some of the um, some of the intention of of the of the phrases. They're less punchy, but a little bit more clear as a kind of active sentence and then yeah the the ceb to translate it as happy i have i have to say that that's i think one of my one of my main slash only qualms with the (laughs) ceb is that they that they choose to to use happy instead of bless or or blessing um do you have some thoughts about like why they would choose to say happy i I don't but i i think that it
1: for me it loses this sense of um A blessing is more than an emotion and happy feels very emotive. So that's kind of why I don't prefer it. Um, but it's usually, you know, we usually have our different translations we use to try to, on the podcast to bring like different, right. To show a broader reading, um, yeah i i don't prefer happy
0: right um and and i think the the translation philosophy in the common english bible to use a word like happy is like meant to communicate in our again common english in our like regular understanding of what the original audience would have understood by this idea of blessing or blessed right that in in the original audience there's this sense that god's blessing means you are you are happy you're prosperous you're satisfied um the, the you you have a stable a stable home a land to live in um and to cultivate you you have um a meaningful community and a place to worship right that like these these are all images and roots of ancient hebrew understanding of what it means to be god's chosen people and to be like settled and prosperous and cared for and blessed by god that there's this sense of of happiness and contentment and satisfaction um and and so i could i could hear that echo in like happy are those who are poor but i agree in english it just doesn't carry the same it doesn't have the same kind of roots and it feels like primarily an emotive word and not um this kind of richer understanding of blessing. Well, let's,
1: let's move away from just the use of this word and talk about some larger approaches to the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, and what's taking place kind of theologically in the Beatitudes. My understanding of the Beatitudes has been really formed by Stanley Saunders. He has a commentary called Preaching the Gospel of Matthew, Proclaiming God's Presence. And years ago, I preached a sermon series on the Beatitudes. We actually preached them line by line, week by week. Um, mm. So, if you need an idea for the summer, take it. Um, but he has this kind of dense portion of a paragraph, and I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then because he has a couple of mm. really lovely phrases, um, and and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. But he says the sermon's eschatological character lies in its power to free listeners' imaginations from the limitations of their everyday assumptions about the world and to open eyes and ears to the reality and nature of God's reign. We should resist any attempts to diminish or domesticate these expressions of divine lunacy. Mm -hmm. So there's this, you know, he's, this is in the context of a paragraph where he's, talking about how many interpreters really speak about the eschatological character of the sermon on the mount or the sermon on the plain um but this shouldn't be taken to mean that Jesus teaching is is only like an interim ethic as the word that he uses mm. um but it does address real people in the real world in Jesus day in Luke's community in our day but the eschatological character lies in the way that we as listeners hearing kind of the the lunacy of these claims or the absurdity of these claims, it frees our imaginations from the limits of how we normally think about the world. So it frees our imagination from our our everyday assumptions about how things work. Or we might say like, it it sets us free from, that's just the way it is, (laughs) okay? That's just the way it is. And instead- Once we're set free from that, it opens our eyes and ears to the reality and nature of God's reign. Another way to say this would be to draw on the language of the powers and principalities that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, which is to say that the the Beatitudes expose the grip of the powers and principalities, the grip that they have on us while envisioning this kind of alternate reign of God or this alter alternate nature of, of who God is and the community that God is always bringing into being.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. This is a really phenomenal foundation to start with um, because this is what Jesus is doing with the original audience, um, saying the people who you think have God's blessing, you've you've missed it. So let us free your imaginations from this is how it always is so that you can see what God is actually doing in this in this new chapter of God's reign of light and love and peace and justice, this great reversal, this upside down kingdom. And what's wild is that Jesus's word and message is doing exactly that same thing now, right? Who you think is blessed, you've You've missed what God is actually doing, how you think blessing works and cursing works. You've missed where God is moving in this upside down reversing kind of way. Um, And it sounds like lunacy, but it's divine lunacy that demands some some really careful um, attention and like an open hearted receiving. I love that you reminded us in this quote, to resist any attempts to domesticate these sayings of divine lunacy. Yeah. So, so what what feels like such like lunacy, what feels so wild or like incomprehensible here about the Beatitudes, about these particular sayings? Well, I mean, if
1: we imagine like a the way that blessed is used in our culture, for example, I'm thinking about like hashtag blessed, Right,
0: Absolutely.
1: it's like, what is that a picture of? Like, is that a picture of like somebody's avocado toast, or is it a picture of like some really happy, picturesque, like Christmas card family of four? Is it a picture of someone's like new house, um, with the you know sold sign in front? Like, are these the kinds of images of like hashtag blessed or the way that we? usually think about blessing, if that's the case, then what the Beatitudes are saying is totally different than that. Completely upside down. As you said, blessed are you who are poor blessed. Are you who hunger now? Um, blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. I mean, these like nobody's posting a picture of themselves weeping and saying like, hashtag blessed. Like it's totally
0: upside down. Right. Yes, it's totally upside down um, and and demands like some really specific reframing of what God's blessing actually means. And I think maybe, again, this is a place where we could call back to previous uh, lectionary passages. If you're preaching the Gospels this, um, this season, uh, Jesus's first sermon reading from the scroll of right. Isaiah, again like proclaims who is blessed, who is receiving God's favor as Jesus is proclaiming God's kingdom is here and now, and it's for you. Um, but this means that captives are released, uh, that, that mourning is turned into dancing, that, um, that, Freedom and release and rescue belongs to the poor and the hungry and the outside. Um, and it's it's not to already amplify those who have power now, who are well-fed now, who are prosperous now. But instead, it's to reverse the fortunes who are lowly and hungry and, um, and on the outside, like waiting for God to save Absolutely. them. Absolutely.
1: You know, I think Alicia in a, in a scripture like this one, it's, it feels so important to me as a preacher to make sure I'm in conversation Mm -hmm. with people who are different from me or people with whom like these, some of these realities are more lived and salient and concrete I think this is important every week but in a week in particular in a week where the the blessings are upside down and then we have later right the the woes for the rich like I feel uncomfortable with the second half of what Luke is doing here and so I want yep. I want to with my own discomfort like I want that to be checked by the experience of someone else who is different from me so I'd love to just talk yeah. a little bit about a couple of ways that that preachers can can be doing some of this work.
0: Great, let's so, do it. Uh,
1: a couple of ideas. So, I mean, in a in a world, I would love to just say to you, like each week, I am reading scripture with people who fit the demographics that Jesus is speaking of here. I would love to tell you that, and the truth is, that mm-hmm. I'm not. Right, I'm I'm often reading scripture mm-hmm. in my office with the door closed, um, disconnected. Right. From, from the people yeah. that the scripture is speaking about. So there's a practice that we assign to preaching students at Duke and it's called dislocated exegesis. And this is actually less about a practice of reading scripture with other people, but about reading scripture in other places. So dislocated exegesis mm-hmm. on the first assignments in intro to preaching class, what you have to do is you have to take your Bible and you have to go sit somewhere for two and a half hours. And you have to read the assigned scripture passage. And all you're supposed to do is read and like take some notes. And and the the place that you're supposed to go read is a place where you in your body feel dislocated. So I do not feel Mm -hmm. dislocated at my local library or my local coffee shop or in my office. Like those are places I regularly read scripture. However, I do feel more dislocated in the emergency room, waiting room, or in a cemetery or on a city bus, or at a shopping mall. Like, these are not places where I normally read scripture. So we send students out and we ask them to do this activity. And it really begins, it's so surprising the way that just changing your space changes the way that you hear and who you're reading scripture among, right? And what you can see Mm -hmm. and notice and feel and experience in the assigned scripture passage. I mean, I've done this exercise with like, probably 10 different classes and each time students come back with insights like I never would have seen before or or things that, that would not have come up for them had they not like changed their space or dislocated their body. This has taken more creativity in my own preaching um, in COVID. I have have a couple mm-hmm. of spots that I've regularly done dislocated exegesis inside my car. <laughs> so I parked my car like across from the county jail which is honestly only a mile from my house, but it's like not a place that I normally am sitting and reading scripture. Or I've parked my car in the parking lot of um, a grocery store that also has a drive up COVID testing site. So just like what are the ways in which like my reading about hunger is is different when I'm like up against the reality, like it's right in front of me, the reality of, of COVID and the effect it's having on, on the neighborhood and community where I live and serve.
0: Yeah, I think that's so powerful. That was also an exercise um, when I was in seminary and in various uh, preaching classes and it's been impactful and effective for me. In my previous assignment... I pastored a church that was full of people who were hungry and came for a free meal on Sundays as well as like an open food pantry and I remember I was preaching through uh Matthew at the time it was like the the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and I remember reading the Beatitudes, sitting in one of those metal folding chairs at one of those round tables where we serve a meal to our people who are hungry. Um, and then later that week, I um, I went to like a fancy restaurant in town um, and <laughs> like got like the the cheapest like bread and olive oil <laughs> on, on the like appetizer menu, but to sit and like to read read the Beatitudes in two of these places where we eat but are wildly mm. different right both of both of which felt uncomfortable for me right that i i felt equally dislocated in the really like fancy upscale dining establishment as i did feel dislocated in um in in the like in our in our free meal right. kind of space um that but but both like locating myself in both of those spaces to hear the word of the Lord for those, for for those folks, for those environments, um, was really powerful and has shaped, I think, how I read both the blessings and woes in Luke. Right, like that's a really embodied experience that I carry with me in reading the scripture.
1: Absolutely. Um, Anna Carter Florence, she talks about this practice and and another practice she calls like soccer moment, which just basically means like. <laughs> print out your scripture. And like, she's saying like soccer mom it like, I'm a soccer mom. Like, so I just like have my scripture text with me so that I can read it at practice or like read it wherever I am um and see the different mm-hmm. things that will surface um, when we are reading in different spaces. But the second part of that, right. is not just reading in different spaces, but also reading with different people. So I have mm-hmm. um, a book I've mentioned on the podcast before called The Gospel in Solitaname by Ernesto Cardinal. And this book is actually, this commentary mm-hmm. is like 50 years old, but you will open it and you're like, we'll be blown away by how fresh and contemporary it feels. Basically he was um, a Nicaraguan priest and he served for 10 years among um, the people, uh, Nicaraguan peasants in Solitaname and this is a a commentary that's basically like he would bring this scripture passage for the week and read it and record the conversation that was had about the gospel text. And just literally like later then transcribe the conversation that he had, um, among the peasants. And so it's kind of, it's kind of early, not early, it is conversational preaching. Um, and it's really, really remarkable and an incredible tool. So, so knowing that we were going to be reading this, the second piece, I was so curious to see what they would say about the woes for those who are rich mm-hmm. and, and the those who have plenty now becoming hungry and the people have some really remarkable insights. I mean, one is just to speak to this question about why do we have the woes on the in in Luke's beatitudes um, And one of them says simply, you know, oh, it's because like here if we have beatitudes for the poor, like maybe the the poor folks think that there's also beatitudes for the rich. there's also blessings for the rich when mm-hmm. actually God has a clear preference for people like us <laughs> for people who are poor mm-hmm. um another insight that some readers pointed to, were the fact that, you know, the the people who are rich here are maybe people who have made their money on the backs of the poor at the expense of the labor mm-hmm. of other people. And that felt like such an important like word to hear as well, like a pushback against any discomfort um, in defense of the rich, right? When the rich have, have actually profited and gotten to where they are as a result of some labor system or, um, poor treatment of other people. Mm -hmm. And the the final insight that I want to raise, um, that they offered is, is here in this line about, you know, how terrible for you who have plenty now, because you'll be hungry. One of them says, there's not going to be people who are actually hungry because in God's revolution, no one goes hungry. The thing Mm -hmm. that they'll be hungering for is the life of excess that they had before, hungering after Mm -hmm. the ambition that's no longer in front of them. So I loved this kind of, I know, right? I loved this, like, it's not that they'll be actually hungry. It's just that they'll be hungry for the excess that they used to have. Because in God's revolution, no one goes hungry. So these are things that, like, I wouldn't have in my body, in my office, like, these are insights I wouldn't have had. So find places and people, even people in books, who can accompany you mm-hmm. um, to make sure that you're hearing the voices that that are present in the scripture that you might miss otherwise.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, one of my um, one of my mantras in pastoral counseling or like this was especially true when I was working with youth and students as I would say, don't talk to, well, sorry, I would say, don't talk about people, talk to them, right? Like as I was, you know, shepherding people through conflict or whatever, um, or tensions, Uh, but I will adapt that and say, don't, um, don't preach about poor, hungry, meek, mourning, lowly, speak with them be right, with them, right. read with them, um, and, and move from this, uh, this kind of abstraction, um, or a kind of like summary that you kind of think about and then report to other people, but, but spend time with, among, um, for so that you might understand what Jesus is really saying here in the, in the Beatitudes and in these woes. Absolutely. And I love that you reminded us that that kind of that communion can be done through books, right? Like when we have when we might have limited access, that like we can read the words and um, empathetically experience the life of another via the written word,
1: right? Even like I mean, be off. Like in this case, you know, I was offered correction, right, with my own discomfort Mm -hmm. um, to the this good news for the poor. That's not ultimately yeah. like, it is good news for me too, but it's going to change my place
0: in line as we've talked about before. Definitely. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, about the woes. We spent a fair amount of time talking about kind of the blessings and how to reframe these. And I love that this quote pointed us to, um, there, there's no such thing as people being hungry for food in God's reign mm-hmm. that like everyone has everyone has enough to eat but what you are hungry for is this life of excess that you have cultivated that is deeply contrary to the kingdom of God so when the kingdom comes in its fullness you've trained yourself to want something that is not good right, right? you've trained yourself to want something that will be eliminated you've trained yourself to want something that will be ultimately destroyed you've trained your life Um, you've trained yourself around this life of excess, this life of pleasure, this life of leisure, this life of ultimate satisfaction without regard to your neighbor, without regard to the folks in your community who have less than you. It's like, I've got me, I'm going to get mine, right? Right. You've lived your life and trained yourself in that way. So when the reign of God comes in its fullness, And you are now in this new reality where like, this is the way you now miss something that is, that is gone forever. Right. And, and that is fundamentally contrary to God's way in the world. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's not,
1: it's possible, you know, the, (laughs) it's possible that it's not just like without regard for my neighbor, but at the expense, Mm -hmm. right. Of my
0: neighbor. Um, it's a hard word. It, it It is a hard and word. An and I think word. maybe to, yeah. And to add maybe a little bit of graciousness to that, that there is this, um, there is potentially this level of of ignorance um whether that be willful or not right like you you might not necessarily know or like have been willing to be totally aware that your life of leisure plenty contentment satisfaction has come at the expense of your of your neighbor, but it has right. Right. And and the consequences are the same, whether you knew it or not. Right. And so, so this is where Jesus says, whoever is willing to listen, listen up, pay attention. Um, look, look at this deeply, um, so that you're not caught off guard by this great reversal of the kingdom of God, and so that you can find your place in it with joy, right? Rather than that, uh, that image that we have of uh the crowd being enraged by Jesus's message of the kingdom, right?
1: Yes. And, you know, to get back to our earlier point, the very work of freeing our imaginations from the limits of our everyday assumptions about the world, like that, the Beatitudes are lifting this veil for us. They are showing us what we could not
0: see before. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll be right back after a quick break. Stick around for our thoughts and preaching and applying the text after this prayer based on the Beatitudes. God of the prophets, We are reminded today that your blessings do not necessarily follow the logic of the world. The world believes that the rich are blessed, but Jesus reminds us that it is the poor who are blessed, the poor in spirit, and the materially poor as well. We pray for a more just world in which all have enough and none are left behind. Though we fear death and avoid its inevitable arrival, Jesus tells us that those who mourn are blessed. Help us to experience the truth of this mystery, Bring healing and wholeness to those who are sick, and comfort those of us who have lost loved ones. While people covet power, Jesus blesses the meek. Instruct us, O God, in the ways of humility. Help us to stand in solidarity with the oppressed and marginalized. Show us your presence in the faces of those the world forgets. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fill our hearts with love, overflowing with mercy. Make our hearts pure. Give us a vision of your glory. In a society divided by race, gender, class, ideology, sexual orientation, and so many other labels, we alone have created. Remind us that we are created in your image, and each of us a beautiful reflection of you, each of us your beloved child. Help us then to end our conflicts and wars, help us to be peacemakers and agents of reconciliation. Gracious God, you have so richly blessed us with life, with love and joy, with hope in the midst of despair. Help us be the salt of the earth, help us be the light of the world, sharing with others that which we have received, boldly proclaiming the good news of your love, finding the seeds of your kingdom within us and letting your way grow in our lives and throughout the world, amen.
1: Alicia, let's talk about how we move from text to sermon. Are there different ideas or images, anything particular you're feeling like you want to explore as you move from text to sermon this week?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I do think like a big, a big part of the interpretive moves this week have to be helping the blessings and the woes land. Um, because I, hmm, I say more, yeah. yeah. I can, I can anticipate resistance. I can an, anticipate a uh, kind of glazing over as people recognize, like, oh, this is familiar. We think we know what this means. Um, so doing that interpretive work to help people, help the people in the pews hear, um, what Jesus is actually saying, um. And I particularly anticipate some resistance to the woes, or I like the way the NLT say, says it, what sorrow awaits you? Woe to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What sorrow awaits you, who are rich? What sorrow awaits you who are prosperous? What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, and what sorrow awaits you, who are praised by the crowds? Um, uh, and and kind of like helping, the congregation lean into that and helping them understand the ways that Jesus's uh woe or cursing here is actually just a naming of these forces at work, right? That that if you have invested your life in gaining prosperity at the expense of others that will be your undoing and if you long to belong to the kingdom of God you will be devastated by the works that you have wrought um yeah. and, and trying trying to to be careful about my language and how I preach that so that I'm not saying like God is actively cursing these people because that's that's not how God is working in the world um but that there are these, there are these forces the the kingdom of god is coming in power i i loved that line in um in the first part before we got to jesus's preaching that there was power coming out from jesus the kingdom of god is coming in power and there are things that will be totally eliminated um and hmm. and And, um, and I think Jesus is naming that reality that like that flow of our ultimate history, um, as, as he says, um, that, that those who are rich and prosperous and content and, um, and highly praised now for particular things will find a great reversal and it will feel deeply tragic to them at the end for a variety of reasons, right? Like they will, I, I, again loved that quote that they will, they will miss the life that they had. I also want to believe that they'll regret their choices, um, Like like, in those times, again, like if we're talking about people who like want to be faithful followers of Jesus, that I think there are people who will be deeply saddened by the consequences of their own actions um, and waking up to realize that they were not the ones with ears to hear, that they were not the ones who were as faithful as they thought they were. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And yeah, how, how does our preaching lift the veil in a way that doesn't feel like there is shame in the exposure? right like right it, but but that it feels um that it feels productive in, in in the sense that it produces a change of repentance in the in the sense that that this unveiling and unmasking of the powers and principalities that hold us captive or these forces that are contrary to God's kingdom that we've somehow got swept away in that as we unveil them and unmask them we can also bury them and put them to rest and like lean into the new life in the new way. Um I, I think those are those are the interpretive moves that I'm interested in as a as a preacher and as a shepherd, right? Um right. We've talked about the prophetic role of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Luke seems particularly um interested in Jesus as a prophet. Um right. And this this passage feels pretty prophetic as have several of our of our past ones but but i'm interested in in making sure i'm always holding this posture of shepherd as well even when speaking like a like a harsh prophetic word that i'm shepherding and guiding and facilitating the turning toward jesus's way and toward that kind of faithful movement rather than just like peeling back the mask and saying you all deal with it and figure it out right <laughs> right, right.
1: Well, I mean, a couple of really, really important notes on that. I mean, one, and I, th- I think I've said this before. One thing is, we always stand with our people. Yes, absolutely, not against them. Why? Right, we stand with them. We stand as captive too. Um, so it's it's just a really important posture as as prophet, as shepherd. That that this is a sometimes it's the some of us and others of us, but we got to make sure we're included in there somewhere. Yes. You know, as also um, captives of the powers and principalities. And then I think the second thing that's so important pastorally is that this is, this is most often not about like bad individual choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It's about being captive to these spiritual and material systems that hold us captive. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, shame on you individual person uh for your desire to save that money and like have that nest egg like it's it's about like a captivity to a larger system
0: yes um
1: that both leads you to desire said nest egg and also requires you to in some sense like depend on depend on it later I mean it's just so there's so much complexity here yes we are captive to these larger systems and God is the the work of Christ right on the cross is the work of setting us free Mm -hmm. but once we're free then we have to like practice resistance to the hold that the powers of principalities continue to have on us so once the veil is lifted once we are, once we see something we can't unsee, yeah, then we don't stop there, mm-hmm. right? We begin living um, into the the vision of God's reign that the Beatitudes opens up for us. We begin practicing a way of life, a way of discipleship, a way of um, community, a way of faith that is resisting constantly the powers and principalities that, that hold us captive or try to capture us again.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's not it's not about um, individual bad choices, but it's about like a whole system, a way of being in the world, which we've bought into, which we've been captive. We've been taken captive. We've been captivated by something. Yeah. Conditioned by, right. Right. All of it. it Like by, by things that are not Jesus's kingdom that are not God's reign, right? That they're fundamentally diametrically opposed. I I was really intrigued by our conversation earlier about this, like idea of hashtag blessed and the way that you see that, like, accompanying pictures on Instagram or like on social media or whatever. And I'm thinking about how I might translate that into, like, how do I help my people think through, like, a new way of being, right? Um, Maybe, maybe it's like starting with this idea of, you know, my, um, my, uh, <laughs> double shot latte from the Starbucks, uh, drive through. Right. And like a, a snapshot that says hashtag blessed, right. Versus, and, and that sort of represents my, um, my, desire for convenience, my desire for like a particular, uh, the status that comes with a particular brand, right? Like there, there are all sorts of things that kind of get wrapped up into this. Um, yeah, that one kind of image or like the idea of blessing is that like, I have the leisure and capacity to participate in the world in one particular way. Right. But what, what does Jesus's picture of hashtag blessed look like? And maybe that's, um, yeah, maybe that's a, a, a photo of a shared coffee with a friend, right? That's like hand poured in in a in a conversational and slow way that's meant to build community right I, I i don't know i'm toying with like that kind of idea i'm not like like totally sure exactly how to translate that into like a practical analogy but i do think i'm i'm thinking more about like how do i take this one picture of blessing and help my people unpack it and unmask it and then also offer them, um, a way to start thinking in new pictures of blessing. Does that make sense at all? Does that?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I mean, we might, you know, we might say that's like the, there's, there's different ways to talk about the pictures, but we might say it's like a bifocal vision. yeah. Right. It's, um, we've talked about that before, uh, the vision that's both sees what's here now and also like what could be what's coming. Um, but I think the snapshots thing is a really, a really compelling um, sermon image to say like, here's what the world says is blessed. And instead, like, here's these pictures that we have. What does it look like in your community? Like, who are your people sharing food with? Mm-hmm. Um, that looks like a picture of satisfaction, right? Who are, where has mourning turned to laughter? Mm. Like, you know, there are images, there are snapshots from probably the life of your own community. Right. Don't, don't overwhelm yourself. Just think about the last two years. <laughs> Where are these moments? Mm. Um, You know, Alicia, I'm thinking of like your shared meal with your church. Yeah. Um, you know, after... The Sunday where there's also like the food pantry, like there's there's not only the shared meal, but there's also an abundance for later. Yeah, um, where there was scarcity before. Um, I'm thinking about (laughs) flash mob dancing, (laughs) like yeah, this kind of you know, like these the maybe not maybe not an Omicron, but you know, (laughs) this kind of like this explosion of like of of joy where there was weeping. I mean, really like sit with what are the moments, or maybe to even go back to a couple weeks ago in the wedding at Cana, like mm. dancing at a wedding. You know, what are these places where um, there's there's joy, where where weeping was before, where there was hunger, and now there's um, someone satisfied. I mean, really like make it concrete. Yeah. Take the snapshots that are so easy to come up with in the tropey, cliche kind of way and allow them to be like transformed by this lifting of the veil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the more we can kind of lean into that application work, the, the more Jesus's words and message becomes just like infused into our way of looking, our way of speaking, our way of being. That, yeah. And that feels like the pastoral work that I'm interested in in pursuing. Amen. Any other final thoughts as we wrap up our conversation this this week? We, we we could continue on for ages and ages, but do the
1: slow the slow work of lifting the veil yourself would be what I would say, um, and and from there allow like the. May that produce the fruit that becomes the sermon.
0: Amen. Let it be so. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. It's been a rich conversation and can't wait to hear more about how All of our listeners are applying the text this week. We remind you all to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scripture this week and to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. You can connect with us on social media for further conversation, especially on the A Plain Account discussion page at Facebook. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. It really helps get the word out. Special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week as we continue the season of Epiphany. See you then.